Hello and welcome to UX Maturity. This is a podcast about the challenges and joys of being a UX or product designer in the tech industry. I'm your co-host Sandrine. And I'm your co-host Susan. If you would like to hear a bit more about the podcast, you can find us on Twitter at UX underscore maturity. And we also have a website on UXMaturityPodcast.com. And if you are able to leave us a review on your podcast platform, it's always very helpful for us to know how we're doing. Thanks. All right, so this week uh, we are not continuing just yet with our insights theme because we have uh, a guest with us uh, for this episode. Uh, we are really lucky to be welcoming uh, Leah Samrani, who is an expert in product management. Uh, I'm personally very happy to have her on the podcast because she is one of my greatest mentors. So really, really looking forward to have a conversation with her. And we're going to be focusing on uh, product and and design collaboration. So we're going to really have a, a good dive into this topic and talk about how design and product should be working together and uh, what are the typical conflicts that may arise between the two functions and what's the best way as well to, to solve them. So Leah, could you maybe get started by telling us a, a little bit about who you are and what's your background in product management? Hi, Sandrine. Hi, Suzanne. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad to be here. Sure. So my name is Leah. I have been working in product for about 10 years now. I'm feeling a little bit old. I've been working for a different size uh, company, different shape for um, app and for web, but always for consumer product and always for a very mission driven uh, company. Most recently, I've been working in the education space for the last few years. And before that, I was in dating um, as well. All right, great. Thanks so much, Leah, for that little intro. So yeah, I think we can start diving into our topic today. Maybe a great place to start would be for us to discuss, I guess, what is the the role of design in a product team and then what's the role of a product manager as well. And I guess we can focus maybe on more product team at a squad level as opposed to like function level as well. So, so yeah, I'm keen to hear from you how you perceive the difference in role and responsibilities in, in squads. That's a very interesting question. The... Um... The role have evolved quite a lot over the last few years. And from my experience on the different company I worked for, the role were never quite the same. They had a different scope. They had a different different level of responsibilities. But there's a few things that are always there, I think, no matter where you work. is uh, Within your squad, you have a cross-functional team with people with different you know, skill set. And one of the main things the product manager should be bringing to the table is the why we're doing something. The product manager is there to represent the, the company and the end users. It's the person that brings the data, it's the person that brings the prioritization, and essentially it's the voice of the organization within that squad. Where the product designer come, I think, is being an expert of UX and UI and being very customer-focused, customer-centric customer centric your product designer should come in i believe with best practice best usability methodology on how to create the best flow user research user insights so those two roles are collaborative they have a little bit of overlap but essentially the main skill set is different I love what you say about how there's a bit of overlap uh, as well as, you know, kind of 
distinct roles and responsibilities. Could you speak a bit more to the overlap specifically? Because I think the reason I'm asking is I think that's where a lot of confusion lies sometimes when people aren't quite clear what what is the overlap of skills and responsibilities and what are the what's outside of the overlap i think the ux is probably the biggest overlap who's who's in charge of the ux more and more i believe it's it belongs more to the product designer rather than the product manager where they have a a bigger overview of, of the entire experience but historically product designer wasn't a role, right? You'd had a UI designer, you had a UX designer, and the UX would quite often come from the product manager because in most places you you wouldn't have a UX person. And then you'd have a UI designer that basically design uh, something that's been wireframed. So I think historically, at least in my experience, that that's where the responsibility lied. And over time, product designer completely evolved as a role. Now product designer is a role that's incorporating the entire user experience. And you can't do that without owning the UX. The UX is a huge part of that. So where I do believe there's still a bit of overlap is that sometimes requirements come from business requirements, and that's where the product manager comes into play. Sometimes you have legal requirement, which again, product manager comes to the table with. Quite often you see product manager are closer to the data and quite often the data also tell you a story that needs to be taken into consideration. But those are more input rather than actually owning the main the main expertise. Yeah, thanks for clarifying this. I I agree that historically there was definitely a big overlap between of the UX and I I definitely have seen still some companies that work a little bit like this, where you have some product managers that make actually a lot of decisions still mm-hmm. on the on the flows and what's in scope. And it's interesting because yeah, the more I guess the 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 newer way of doing things when you have product designer in place is that I guess your PM will come more to you with a problem, then the product designer will really be in charge of exploring. I guess, what is the best way to approach that problem with that solution? And that's where I guess they take ownership of that UX and full ownership of the flows. And then I guess the scope gets almost refined after that first exploration gets done as well. Yeah, that's ideal. Yeah, (laughs) that's definitely ideal. (laughs) It doesn't happen every day. (laughs) I was wondering if you also see an overlap in terms of what gets prioritized as well, because I've noticed myself sometimes that there's a little bit like a bit of an overlap of what product designers obviously believe should be done to improve the UX, especially as we're taking more ownership of the the UX, as you said. Mm-hmm. There's going to be more product designers wanting to also prioritize work that benefits the user, the experience, etc. And I guess that's overlapping with the responsibility of the PMs that obviously have been prioritizing based on business objectives and so forth. So, so yeah. I don't I don't see that as an overlap as much because the the responsibility at the end of the day the, the PM is doing the prioritization, but it's doing the prioritization based on the work of the squad. And as part of that work, you have a lot of input and that's where product designer input comes in as well. That's where engineering input comes in. There's there's multiple factors that comes into prioritization and for example, you know, if a product designer comes in and say we have a problem with that specific flow, there's a terrible user experience here. I think we can really improve something. And, you know, maybe this is how it's affecting our, our end users. 
that's something that uh, needs to be taken into consideration within the prioritization process. And that's not always owned by the product manager. It's just, it's a responsibility of the product manager, but it's not necessarily owned by the product manager. Depending on the company, it could be done at squad level and everybody has a bit of an input in there. It could be done more at leadership level and a bit more top down where you have the company saying, this is what we want to prioritize and those are the reason. It's, I think it's very different in the different way you work, but there's always a case scenario where there's at least an input. I find it interesting what you say about input. My observation, having not been a product manager, but of course worked with product managers, is that quite a, quite an important part of your job is to uh, gather people's input, the relevant input, not just from the team, not from just from engineers and designers and who else is in the squad, but also from the wider business and balancing that as part of your prioritization. And of course, as designers and engineers, uh, I can imagine we also gather input, but I feel like this whole part of kind of getting the right input and analyzing it, somehow balancing it, and then coming up with a decision is is a big part of the product manager job. Yes, I would agree with that. <laughs> it's definitely, yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely a, a big part of the job. You're not, as a product manager, you're not really there to find solution. You're there to enable a solution. And the best way to do that is, is to ensure that the right people are giving the right input, to write have the right insight, the right information from the organization as well, from the market, have the right data, have the right context to understand those, those data. And then and then out of that, there's, there's uh, prioritization, there's decision-making. A, a lot of it is based on logic and like there's a lot of rationale behind it. But a part of it is also a bit of an art. It's just a bit of a product instinct in, in a way. Yeah, it's, def it's definitely a big part of the role. And as, as a product manager, one of um, the most important thing you have to do is enable your team to find solution rather than come with solution yourself. And the best way to do that is to make sure you have access to the right insight, the right information, the right data, that you can put context on it and understand it properly. And then that you're ruthless at prioritizing it because at the end of the day, you only have a very small team and there's always so, so much more you would want to do. But you're not the person with the solution. You don't have an answer. And, and I think that's where, you know, those inputs are so essential. Yeah, I, I very much agree with this. And I think the, the best PMs that I've worked with are very more focused on the problem space and more mm. about actually determining what are the problems to solve like where can you create value and it's not about how do you create that value because they actually understand it's the tech and design functions that have that expertise to bring that value to life but they have a really big role to play in terms of where is that value that can be brought where is the opportunity and I feel like PMs have to really like good PMs really need to understand the market that they're evolving in and, you know, I guess all these notions of like jobs to be done and all of these sort of things are really essential. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm very much aligned with what you're saying, basically. If you, you know, if you break it down, I think PM and product function in general, sometimes there's more leadership involved, but they do the why and the why now. And then the what is a shared functionality between PM and the entire squad. 
and then the how is completely owned by the squad. And then you just keep going into that circle of things. I, I love that. I, that's such a simple but powerful way of breaking it down. So that's, uh, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's why I had someone's challenge, actually, um, junior product designers to ask why, because they need to make sure that their PM knows the why. Because if their PM doesn't know the why, then that, that there's definitely an issue underlying there. So, so yeah, I think this is a really great way to to summarize it for sure. I was wondering as well if we could talk a bit about product vision because I think that's also a big part of the PM role, which also touches on what we've just been talking about. And I think the product vision is also something that obviously can be very high level, but you can also have it as a smaller team level as well, which is, for me, it's meant to be obviously collaborative as well, but it's usually owned and carried by the PM as well. So I was wondering if you could tell a bit about how do you come up with a product vision and how do you collaborate on it? The PM is a voice of the vision, but it's not always the owner of that vision. Um, and that, again, depends very much on what's your organization. You know, if you're in a very small startup, that vision is probably a founder-owned vision. If you're in a very big organization where there's a lot of squads and you have a very specific problem to, fit, to, to work on, that vision is almost part of the team or come from the team, but the PM is the voice of it. The PM is the person that has to rationalize it, that have to ensure that everybody understands it, that we all understand the same one, that we aligned, and that the execution of it also makes sense. Because I think what you see in a lot of places, a company saying, this is our vision, and then they translate it into a product vision, and it's like, this is our product vision. But then when you look at the work that's actually being done on the day-to-day, -day, it doesn't really re relate to that vision. And there's always a reason. There's always, a, oh, but we just had to do it right now. Or somebody asked or, you know, the hippo asked. Or there's always a reason why things get prioritized in that way. But then you look at the overall of it and none of it makes sense because you have product, you have a company vision and then a product vision. And then you have a roadmap that looks nothing like a reflection of it and that's where the pm job comes into play you have to ensure that the execution of it as well is aligned with it and you also have to ensure there's a feedback loop because sometimes like that vision will evolve it constantly evolve and the way it does evolve is again with all of those insights and feedback that you get from both your team and from your users and actually relying that information and making sure that we are not stuck into into something it is also part of the PM responsibility. So going back to the the why and, and how, well, a lot of product management is to articulate, figure out to the why we're doing something and articulating the why and, and making sure that the rest of the cross-functional team understands it. How can designers and, and engineers for that matter, but none of us are engineers, so let's just focus on design and product. How can the, the rest of the team, including designers, help with, figuring out the why like how can we be involved and collaborate in that process that's a very good question <laughs> um i i do think actually product designers have a, a, a huge responsibility towards the why they are very close to the product they're also very close to the users uh, product designer tend to you know be part of user testing session listen to feedback they tend to really understand the psychology of the user and this is an information that's very invaluable to, to the why in most cases. 
And also product designers are a very good storyteller. And telling that story is a big part of getting people together and, and getting them excited about you know, what we're doing and why we're doing it. So I do think product designers have a huge responsibility in it. And they also have a responsibility to challenge it if it doesn't make sense because they will help refine it in a way that does make sense. And either way, so either they will help refine it and change it in a way that it does make sense. Either they will challenge it to the point where they actually get on board with it because they fully understand it. And having a product designer fully on board with that is essential. You cannot create something unless you really understand why you're doing it and you also believe into the why you're doing it. Or at least not something good, I don't think so. As per the rest of the team, I think the responsibility is maybe not as big, uh, or at least it's not yet, but I do think you see more and more engineering team, um, QA, researcher, copywriter, everybody really within that squad, people are developing more their product sense. And you see the product, the, the being product oriented is becoming a skill that is actually almost becoming normal for everyone to have within a tech company. And the more your team is product oriented, the more people have that product sense of thinking, you know, why are we doing something? Who are we doing it for? What is a higher level vision? So let me question something that we're doing at a smaller level because it doesn't really match a higher vision. The more you're going to be in a situation where what you create is is better, is more aligned, you make more sense, it's faster as well because you actually enable you, you can uh, see problems before they actually happen. And I do believe in the future that will be the case. I do believe in the future having a, a product. I don't, I don't know if it's a product skill or product vision. I'm not too sure how to call it, but have, having that product aspect to your role uh, will be a necessity for anyone within, a, within the tech industry. It's, I, I almost think maybe, I don't think product manager will disappear as a role, but I do think it's... Um, yeah, I do think product thinking will become an important part of everybody's role and responsibility in the future. Did I answer your question? Yes, yes, absolutely. And and I I, mm -hmm. I really like that perspective and reflection because I I think some some teams are already there. Like it, of course, really depends on the organization mm. and the team and stuff. But I think part of how you can kind of spot the the level of distributed product thinking <laughs> if, if you can call it that is is when you say product or the product people in, a, in an organizational setting who are you thinking of in some in some settings the product people are the product managers and in other settings the, the mm -hmm. pro quote-unquote product people are are the whole cross-functional team almost it's it's the product manager it's a product designer it's a product engineer QA content people you know so it's I, I think it's almost like a a bit of a the way you who you include in product people is a bit of a signal as to the extent to which product thinking is a mature muscle uh, beyond just the product managers if that makes sense yeah absolutely absolutely and you want that the more you have people thinking that way the, the better everything is the, the more challenging things get but the better the end product is so it, it really should be encouraged yeah, I am also very aligned with this. It actually reminds me of our episode on when, how we define product designer versus UI UX designer. We actually dive quite a bit into that product thinking skills as that skill that actually, single, I guess, makes you that rounded product designer. And I, I very much agree that's 
a skill that everyone should be building and it doesn't just belong to the product manager or the product designer. I think, as you said, there's more and more engineers that start embracing that side as well. I was wondering, you said that if product uh, PMs, for example, can't really define the why or if the why is not strong enough, that the rest of the team should be kind of uh, challenging, I guess, the PM on better defining that why or, I guess, change their prioritization. And I was wondering if you have any advice for designers or even, you know, engineers, but we can focus on designers here, obviously, to challenge back a PM that may not fully actually understand product thinking or fully understands the role of UX as well. Because I find that sometimes it can be a bit hard to challenge some, some PMs. So I was wondering if you have some lessons or advice for people. Okay, you, there's a few things you could do that you can always do, whether the person is difficult or not. And, you know, the first thing would be to ask questions. Like you don't have to formulate your question in a way where they are perceived as, you know, being attacking um, the why or being defensive, but more as curiosity, as I, I just would like to understand that. So I do think you can ask as many questions as possible. And that should always be absolutely okay with with your 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 PM. Things that have not same scenario that the one you're describing, but um, a general scenario around process. Thing that I have seen work quite well in the past is also taking external example of you know company that do things well and have success. Uh, a lot of company are very open about their process now. There's a lot of um, you know, there's documentation, there's talk, there's podcasts, there's so much out there. And I do think I do think it's open to anyone to just say, you know, I've, I've stumbled upon this information and this process seems to have been very successful for this company. Maybe can we bring some of that to our team? And that process could be around how to define the why or how to uh, go from the why to actual building the, the work itself. It's, it's quite a specific question, but there's, I mean, there's so much in the process because if you're working with someone that's not great at defining why we're doing something, doesn't understand critical thinking, doesn't understand product design, realistically, there's going to be a lot more problem within that team. There's, there's going to be a lot of issue. Some of that usually comes from a, an ego space and some of it might also just come from the organization itself, as in within the process of that organization, it is very difficult to uh, create proper process that would enable that the product manager you work with to actually define a why properly and um, help empower the team as well. So those things usually have deeper roots and it's, it's way more challenging to change. <laughs> so, yeah, I think having the only like the, the two things you can ask here yeah, is ask questions and you know bring bring documentation, bring example, bring things that works. Actually, put it in front of people because you can't ignore what works. It helps. And if you also come up with solution, maybe it's better. So if something isn't working and you're raising that it's not working, but you have an example of something else you could do instead. So maybe you. Um, have something that worked in the past that you experienced in an organization or like work within your organization right now maybe you want to do i don't know a design sprint maybe you have a maybe you have actual video of users that clearly are struggling with something that can be used 
for your narrative. It really, really depends on exactly what you're talking about, but there's quite a few ways where you could build that narrative and create that story in a way where it's maybe easier for the other people to buy in and where they want to buy in rather than where they feel attacked and start defending themselves and then you're not really going to get anywhere. Yeah, I I like what you said, actually, because I think sometimes some designers struggle to have that narrative of explaining why they don't particularly believe in the way things are being done, but they can't particularly explain why they would like to do it in a different way. What kind of impact do they think it would drive as well? So I think that's really essential to yeah, be able, as you said, to be able to get buy-in as well and build almost yeah, building that rationale behind it because if you want if you have a different perspective on that why you should also be able to explain that as well so i think that's really essential i think beyond the 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 issue being with the ego of the person as well i think i like what, that you referred to the the organization as well because i think mm-hmm. there's some organizations that are very output driven where delivery is really favored and yeah i was wondering if you have like i don't know if you've ever experienced what what it's like to move from being output driven to being outcome driven or what's the best way to encourage your PM or even your team to like think more about the impact and the value you're you're driving as opposed to just the outputs that you're shipping basically yes um (laughs) (laughs) and I think I'm going to come back to data again because again I think this is where the story takes source and it's it's very tangible so it is easy for people to see that it's worth the effort and it's worth the impact. And I think what, one of the things we see is when you are output driven, you would maybe ship a feature, have it out there and then move on, right? And you just never really touch it again. You just move on to the next. And the more you do, the faster you do, the better. And you don't have that space to evolve something to a place where it would actually to have a good outcome. So two things that are super helpful in that case scenario is actually have user testing. Running user testing, you no, know, they're so easy. There's so many websites to do it. There's places, there's tools, it's cheap, it's very fast. That 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 should not be difficult to put in place into any in any company. That user testing usually brings two things, value and issue. It shows you the potential of that if you actually invest more time and, and take it further. And it shows you the current issue and where they're at. And again, it's very visual. It's a story. It's something you can, you know, catch into tiny piece of video, bring together and make everybody in your team see it. And trust me, when you have someone seeing the work they've done and people actually really struggling with it, they there's a reaction. People care. It's their own work. It's, you know, what they're building. So first of that. The secondly, there's data. So if you do manage to give it a try, if you manage to actually say, you know, for this specific problem, we are going to tackle it this way. We are going to look at what is it we want to achieve, how we want to get there, what do we want, how do we want to impact people, and we, we will test it and evolve it as we go. Just, you know, let us do it for this specific problem. If you have data, and if you can actually, at the end of it, precisely say, you know, I've actually impacted your metric by X, or I've changed things by X, it's really helpful to your narrative, right? Because then you come back to the process. It comes back to the reason why we managed to actually have an impact that is proven because I have it with numbers is because we were focused on 
the outcome and not the output. I, I don't think you should shy away from that. I think it's the opposite. You should really try and get those uh, those hardcore metrics that's probably pushed on you when you have so much when you work for a company that are very input driven and and turn them to your advantage. Thinking about metrics, I find that I don't know what the cause of this is, but I find that sometimes designers don't understand the metrics that that are signifying the outcomes or that are signal signaling the outcomes. Sometimes designers don't understand them or they don't agree with them or they might understand and agree with them but not value them. It's I I find that sometimes maybe designers and product managers aren't on the same page as to what the outcomes should be <laughs> if you if you know what I mean. So so some examples I, I'm thinking about is when designers are very passionate about improving something in the design that might not impact the metric but you know oh, we've been really as designers we've been really frustrated with how the, the inconsistency in the UI or the, the the things that designers often care about aren't necessarily directly correlated with the metrics that product managers uh, care about or the rest of the team care about so I suppose some of the friction sometimes comes when designers don't feel like what they care about are baked into the metrics and outcomes that the team as a whole care about. So I guess my, my question is, how can you incorporate the stuff, whatever stuff is, that designers care about as well into the, into the bigger why of what this team is trying to achieve? Yeah, that needs to be part of your process, really. When, you, when you're talking about UI inconsistency, for example, I do think this can, it can also be turned into a metric because if you have UI inconsistency, it means that it will be slower to design things because there's no proper library to use. It means that eventually we're going to start bringing, building a, a backlog of, of depth, of things that will have to be tackled. It's more complicated for engineers as well. And it's really bad for the brand from a brand perspective as well. So you have quite a few people on your team already that don't like it and want to avoid it. And I think that can very easily be brought forward as in, you know, we invest a bit of time right now to do it, but in the future, it will simplify our process. It will make things faster. It will sometimes even allow the product to run faster. And that's not linked to a user metric, but it's, it's still linked to a metric as in, as a team, we will be more efficient if we do it this way. So in, in that case, yeah, it's not a user metric, but I think you can still bring it to a story where there's there's, a, there's an actual measurable. You know, if you're saying that uh, uh, it will take you, I don't know, two days less actually uh, to finalize your work if you have a proper URI library that, you know, you can wireframe faster, that for developers, it's much faster as well, that they don't have to start making up things as they go. There's the, the, like, at that stage, usually you have a space to do it or you prioritize it within your process to do it at some point. And then ongoing, that becomes at uh, an epic level. A different company work differently. So of course, everybody, you know, don't have the same process, but there's usually an understanding that the, the team quite often own how long it takes to do something. Even though you have, you know, you have deadline, you have objective in, in general and in, in proper tech company, at least the level of, you know, how, how, how long it's going to take to do something is pretty much owned by the team. You can add time to that to ensure you have process done properly, at least at the beginning. Afterwards, it just become natural that at the beginning, you can straight away from the beginning say, you know, this is going to take two or three more days because actually we have to tackle 
a bit of depth there. And engineering does that quite well. And the way they do it is that, you know, if you don't do it, we will have a problem in the future. So I, I do think designer can do very much the same as in, you know, if we don't do it, we will have a problem in the future. And the question is, how can you balance that with everything else on the other priority and the other thing that needs to be done and make sure that, you know, it's done at the right time and also to the right level. You, you don't have to rebrand the entire application, but maybe you can fix one element at a time. Or maybe there's one person, you know, that for two weeks or a month, we forget about them and they're just going to go and clean up that library. And I think that's perfectly okay. And if it's presented as this is something that will benefit the team, then the product and the user, it should also, it's it's usually taken into consideration. Yeah, absolutely. I, I also very much agree that <laughs> engineers or development have sort of, yeah, well, nailed it, relatively nailed it with how they incorporate tech debt and address it. And design debt is a thing as well. So it's on designers often to kind of frame it in that way. It's design debt is costly. And uh, if we address it, then we will deliver more, better value faster as a team. It really depends on your company as well. You know, it's so, I'm thinking if you're working for a company that's been around for 10 years, the, the level of design, if you have, you know, multiple platform, if you have that are all managed differently by different people over the years and you've never had a library, the, the amount of work there is significant and that needs to be prioritized at quite a high level. This is a company, it, it is a company objective because it's it's going to be costly to do it properly. When you're maybe smaller team or, you know, startups where things are starting from the beginning, that debt doesn't exist. You can put this process in place from the beginning and that's never even a question. That doesn't even happen because from day zero, you had a proper library and, you know, you, you kind of maintain it. So I do think it also very much depends on, you know, the personal situation of, of the person within this and the size of the company and the, the age of the company. I wanted to maybe cover a bit more about the, the collaboration between product and design. And I was wondering, Leah, what are the common sources of conflict that you've experienced between product and design within the squad but so we can talk maybe as well about our function level as well if that that's relevant in my experience when you have one product manager and one designer and there's a duo there is very little conflict the the duo works very well together they bounce out of each other they they find each other's strengths and weaknesses and really work together as a unit where I've seen much more challenge is when that doesn't exist, when you have multiple designer, multiple PMs, and they either, you know, a, a kind of everybody work with everybody or the team change constantly or the squad have an imbalance. Maybe there's more product designer, maybe there's more product manager within the company. But there isn't that dual relationship. There's a team relationship, but there isn't that one-to-one. -one. And some of the problem I, I saw in those cases is that you'd have a lot more voices. So what I mean by that is when you have that duo, really you have the product manager, the product designer, and those two are decision-making. They are giving feedback to each other constantly. They're evolving a product together, and that works really well. When you don't have that, you start having the voice of the entire product team, as in product management team and product design team. So department that start coming in. And you start seeing feedback coming from a product manager, feedback coming from a senior product designer, feedback coming from 
I don't know, maybe head of marketing or a, a bunch of different people that are involved within what you're doing, but not necessarily with, within the day-to-day of the team. And what happened is that you start getting a lot of different directions. And it's very difficult to actually make anything out of it because you don't have one clear direction. You start having a lot of voices in, in the mix. That's one of the problems that I saw happening quite a bit. And that can also happen when one team is stronger than the other. So when one team is bigger, have a lot more process, have hierarchy, have review. And I've seen both, actually. I've seen, I've seen places where, you know, product design was stronger and, and places where product management was stronger um, as a team, as there's more people, there's more process, there's more hierarchy. That kind of tend to cannibalize the relationship and cannibalize the other uh, team. So I do think that ratio is, is very important for collaboration. One of the issues also when people get changed what they work on quite often. So usually you do want to change what you work on. You know, people do get maybe bored. Maybe they want to try something new. Maybe you also don't want to create knowledge depth within your company. So you want to ensure there's a good understanding of the different area by different people. But if that happens too often, what you see is you don't have time to build that relationship and you don't have time to build that knowledge space. And you don't care about it as much because by the time you're actually going to get something out there, you will be moving to something else. So there's almost like a government, you know, you do something, but by the time you actually get implemented, somebody else is in charge. So you don't really care if you're creating that for the future. It's not, it's not going to be your problem, which I learned recently in the finance of government course, which was very interesting. <laughs> which apparently we cannot do as individual people. <laughs> Only the government can do that. So I've, yeah, I, th- I think this, this is kind of a key thing for collaboration is really having that one-to-one, having it stable. So it's a long-time relationship um, where you can really share and build that knowledge pool, where you can learn new ways of working, adjusting to each other. And for me, that relationship is more important than the relationship you have with your department. And that's not often the case. And that's often where you see tension because you start seeing people belonging to a department and fighting for their department and representing their department rather than fighting for that duo and representing that duo. Yeah, we, we're both heavily nodding to this. <laughs> I, I really like that you're pointing this out because I think referring back to that duo that you're talking about, I think what I've noticed when that duo doesn't happen is that, as you said, each the product manager and the product designer almost stay in their camp where it's like, I advocate for my function and I advocate for my function and like my function wants to do this and my function wants to do this. And there's no, it's almost like the two functions are running on completely two different philosophies about how to do products. And they don't even agree at a high level as to how to do things. And I find that usually this is hugely difficult for designers that are on the ground with product managers to actually get yeah get a collaborative ground because they are being told things by their leadership team sometimes that just does not help them align with their product managers and I've seen this in my experience sometimes when PMs are being told to deliver Mm. like deliver 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 and designers are being told quality 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 and and sometimes that's where you have the PM that says quantity and the designer that's his quality and they just can't talk the same language anymore and that's when the tension builds and they don't and it's I find it really difficult and I'm wondering can is this something that people can actually almost solve at their level or does this need to come from 
the leadership teams in each function to actually resolve that between them and create a communication loop for everyone. Because I find it really hard to put down the shoulders on people that are sometimes quite junior, actually. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a process thing and the process is driven by the leadership of the company. Um, if you have process within design team and within product team that are too strict, it makes it almost impossible for those relationships to exist. But I think that's also why you see more and more company having squads. And the idea of a squad is that it's cross-functional, but it's also that it's empowered. It's empowered to have their own process, their own ways of working within reason. And there's obviously like direction coming from, from the top in terms of, you know, where we're going because it needs to work with a wider organization. But in theory, the process within that squad kind of trump almost the process within your department. And at the end of the day, it's, it's, a, it's a question of balance, right? You were talking earlier about um, design uh, libraries. If you don't have process within that team, you won't have design library. And you will always have that issue of having a lot of different components and everybody does what it wants. So that's also not an option. But if you're too strict with that, you have too much process, you don't give the space within the squad for, for people to make the decision that is appropriate for their particular focus. So I do, I do think it's really a balance and you have to find the right ratio between top-down and process and department versus team on the ground working together. But yeah, you can, I don't think you can solve it without having the leadership actively involved with that. At least middle management actively involved with that. Yeah, I... 110% agree with everything you said like I'm like I think I'm getting a weird neck thing from nodding so much <laughs> and I because well I agree so much both on a theoretical level but also because I've felt the frustrations of not having the top-down structures in place to enable the product manager and product designer duo to really really work well so when you don't have that structure in place from leadership to protect the empowerment of the cross-functional team and to protect the duo that is product management and product designers when that's not prioritized as, the, as a sort of unit of work unit of empowered decision making and purpose you get so much what's it called like turf war uh, so you kind of like oh my discipline cares about this but that discipline cares about something else. And there's a lot of conflict, like, oh, product managers, oh, they just want to ship and or whatever, you know, get a lot of <laughs> frustration from designers that way. Or even like to other other functions, like mar marketing wants this and marketing wants that, or, you know. And I think some of it comes from, well, a lot of it comes from the competing loyalties you have. You, like you have loyalty to your cross-functional team, but then you have the loyalty towards your department or your function as well. And if, if it's not made clear from a leadership level, like what is a team, what is a cross-functional team and, and what is a function and what is a department and what's the purpose you have in each of those contexts. That's when, yeah, loyalties get a bit muddled and it's not clear what, for example, I as a designer am meant to do. Like, am I championing my design team or am I championing for my cross-functional team? And the, the worst is when, yeah, like you sort of described earlier when designers, there are many designers and many product managers all working on lots of different things. Uh, then you have even less of a kind of stable sense of purpose and you're just parachuting and constantly context switching and you don't have a clear sense of direction or loyalty. Oh, maybe not loyalty, but relationship. I don't know, it's, it's something around, around those lines, waffling a lot. But yeah, anyway, all this, all this to say, I very much agree. 
it's it's more than just loyalty because usually the person would be your manager would be your line manager so there's also a big sense of hierarchy there where you're you're told what's expected of you and that's that's actually your job that's your career that's your livelihood so it makes it way harder if it's if it's not supported by the business because your boss is telling you to do something how do you fight that your your boss your manager is never within your squad that never happens right it's always within department so yeah yeah it's interestingly the healthiest places i've worked were places where it was very made very explicit that the department or function uh, so for example the design department they do not do work work happens in the teams and the design function is to be sort of where your discipline congregate and and so that you know that distinction between where does work happen work happens in the cross-functional team those were the healthiest places I were at because it made it really clear that when I do work I do it in the team with the product manager and the engineers and the other people in the cross-functional squad. But then can I, so you can just ask, so did you not get design review then by your team, by the design department done? I did, yes, but that was more of um, having a space to get other peers in my same discipline to look at my work. But it was never a case where more work would come out of those design reviews. uh, And I wouldn't bring work from the design department into the cross-functional team and say, oh, we discussed this in the design team, we need to put this thing into our backlog because it came from the design team. Like work would arise and be driven by the cross-functional team rather than from the design team. So we would have design reviews and go on design outings and that sort of thing, but that was a designers coming together to kind of share experiences and learn from each other rather than doing work that drove an outcome per se. So the outcomes would be driven by the cross-functional team. So essentially, that would never change actual flow or requirement within the work you are doing with the team? Uh, No, because, well, I mean, I would gather people's input from other designers and it would be up to me to use that input or not. Right. Yeah. Okay. So so there was no autonomy in the design function to influence the work that was yeah. happening in a cross-functional yeah, squad. Yeah, right. Whether I think most places would be whatever feedback you got within that setup, and especially if it comes from uh, someone more senior than you, would be expected to be put in place. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very aligned with what you're saying, Susan, actually, because my best experience as well has been similar, where I get more of a sense of belonging to my squads, but then I also yeah, see my design peers as um, they're here for feedback. They're here to challenge me, challenge my thinking. We're here to build that design capability, which is the system or, or principles and, you know, inspire each other and, and all that, which has nothing to do with my squad's work. But yeah, we have that, like we have autonomy because the work, as you said, happened in the squad. We're each autonomous in those in those teams to make our own decision and lead from a design perspective. And those critiques are here as a safe space to, as you said, get that feedback, but then it's up to you to apply it or not, depending on what's relevant based on your squad's constraints. Sometimes you can't apply that feedback and there's no, like those those critiques are not a sign-off process. They're here to elevate your design practice. They're here to elevate the quality, but they are not there to sign off. And the best places where I've been, actually, there is no sign-off process. And because everyone is trusted, because everyone... You know, everyone is trusted to deliver quality and there is that critique space to obviously 
just regularly check in. And then also you have design managers that are across several squads so they can also help out their their reports, I guess, when necessary. But yeah, I think this makes it work well, well where the designer can build that relationship with, with their product team. And yeah, the, the design function is, is a separate thing. But yeah, going back to the tension between two functions, I, I really think yeah, there's really, um, for me, it makes it really hard to create that duo when both product design and product management don't strive for the same thing and then no, their interests are not aligned and they can't actually communicate on common objectives uh, in terms of UX that they want to provide or value or objectives that they want to deliver on. And yeah, up to a certain exp- extent, I, I expect the leadership teams to to drive that work. So, so yeah. Yeah, I agree. We've talked quite a bit about how both functions sometimes don't, don't really get along and where there's some tension that are not particularly healthy for the business. But I think sometimes there is some, some healthy tension where both product and design function challenge each other. And I was wondering if you have some some thoughts on what kind of healthy tensions need to exist between the two departments. So we talked a bit about it earlier when we touched upon the responsibility of challenging the why. I, I do think that would be one of the healthy tension to ensure that the right questions are asked and the that the, the product designer don't hesitate to actually challenge why until they really fully understand understand it and that it makes sense to them as well. On, on the product side, I think where the healthy challenges is really question some of the you know design decision around why why things are done a certain way. And sometimes that's just also because you have a bit of an outside perspective on it. You you went so deep into the work. So you have fresh pair of eyes, but you have the same knowledge in terms of you know the insights, the data problem, the end goal. So I do think there's definitely a space there for feedback. And sometimes those feedback, like quite often I've seen, you know, product designer coming back and say, well, actually, I thought about that. And here's some of what I tried. And, you know, it doesn't quite work. And that's why I made that decision. That's perfectly fine. Or other time it would be, you know, oh, yeah, you know, good point. Let me explore. Let's see. But there is, you know, if it's a healthy tension, it's a healthy relationship. It means, again, that this is not a sign off. It's not a... It's not a sign off where you're telling somebody what to do. It's more you giving them feedback and they decide what to do with those feedback. And I think it comes both way. I think the product design can question what are we working on and why we're we working on that. And the product manager can question why are things done a certain way. And if you have that relationship, if you have that good collaboration, those are just discussion and they're ongoing every day. It's not... If you have that level of collaboration, you don't go quiet for a week and then have a you know big reveal meeting. You actually have those back and forth multiple times a day. It's just sometimes it's quick questions, sometimes it's hey, like just preview. And I love those relationships. I think they work really, really well. And I think it's much harder when you when you don't have that then you're quiet for a while and then there's a big piece of work that is shown. It's way harder to give feedback at that point and it's not really healthy tension, right? Because at that point, you've got a week invested or, or more in, in the work, whether it's from design or, 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 or PMs, it's the same. It's, um, it's, it's kind of a bit, it's too late in the flow to get that input. So for attention to be healthy, it has to be done at the right time in the process. And I do think that's very early on and ongoing. 
rather than checkpoint. Yeah, I, I agree with this. I think the more communication, the better. And I think the more you can involve your PM in your design decisions, like it's another pair of eye. And I find that uh, PMs tend to have a very good knowledge of the product, the system, the logic in place. They also have a bit of technical knowledge because they speak a lot with engineers as well. And I find that sometimes it's a nice, they have a really interesting input into the solution space as well. So, so yeah, absolutely. I agree with this. The best duos I've had with a product manager are the ones where we had it's just ongoing one-to-one so almost daily just a quick like dm on slack like hey do you have 15 minutes can i just bounce bounce this uh these thoughts off of you both ways so me me working on a design or the pm working on some prioritization or you know sort of like i've prioritized it like this i just want your input as a designer into how you know it goes both ways and yeah it being ongoing low threshold doesn't have to be like a formal meeting one hour meeting every week it's just this constant low threshold constantly talk to each other is so healthy and there's tension but it's healthy tension because you're each bringing your own perspectives and vantage points into those discussions i absolutely agree but i still i really think again it comes back to everything we talk about this come back to the fact that that relationship is the more preeminent rather than the departmental relationship it comes back to having those processes that enable that it's all of that are necessary to have that relationship because i think i have seen example where um departmental relationship were more important than the the team one in those case scenario you you feedback are more formal and they're less often and because of that, they are a bit more, they're not conflictual, but they're a bit more of a review process, official review process, rather than, you know, bouncing ideas or discussion. And in those cases, what I heard product designers say a few times where, you know, we don't want to design by committee. And that's why we, you know, we're not actually asking for input until we have something so we can actually do the work. We need time to do the work. We don't want to design by committee. And I do, I do understand that. I do think it's, it's a valid point, especially if you come from a place where the relationship was opposite, where you actually have someone telling you, you know, can you put a cross here and can you draw something there? <laughs> but if you do have that relationship, PMPG, that's where it's not, it's not even designed by committee. It's, it's build a product by committee at, at that stage, right? With each having its own skills. And yeah, I mean, I would agree with you. In my experience, that was the best relationship I had. And that that is places where I enjoyed my work more because everybody has an input and you have a good collaboration and you can see the impact as well of what you're achieving. And you pushed, you pushed to do better, but in a very healthy way. Nice. Yeah, I think we're all aligned on this. I, uh, I agree with the... I actually don't see designing in collaboration with my PM as designed by committee because for me I see that committee as being a, a bunch of stakeholders that actually don't need to have a design input they just need to tell me what their concerns are and what their objectives are and I just need to listen to that and yeah I, I think this is very different from that active ongoing collaboration with with your PM which is your partner partner in crime in that team where you're just trying to just get shit done together to achieve a common common objective really so so yeah 
All right, so we have been covering kind of a, a few aspects of product and design collaboration. Thank you so much, Leah, for, for joining us today. I think we've, uh, yeah, we've had a really energizing conversation and hopefully we've uh, all learned quite a bit around how to better collaborate and nurture that relationship between product managers and, and designers. Thank you so much again for listening. We will be back next week for yet another episode. If you'd like to find a bit more about Leah and her profile, she can be found on LinkedIn. I think we will put the link in the description below in the episodes. And if you would like to find us uh, online, we are on Twitter at UX underscore maturity. And we also have a website at uxmaturitypodcast.com. And uh, thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you.